the CEO of the hottest AI startup in the world, joins us to talk about talent, tech, and his challenge to Google. All that and more coming up right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Let's go deep today with the CEO of the one startup that's really changing the way that we think about AI and how it can have a role in challenging incumbents. And not surprisingly, it's coming in the world of search. We're joined today by Aravind Srinivas. He's the CEO of Perplexity, and he's here to talk to us all about his company and also the state of the industry. Aravind, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here, Alex. Let me start with this. You have 10 million users, last count. Your company is a search company. So instead of going to Google, you go to Perplexity, you type your question in, you get a paragraph or two in conversational AI with some links at the top telling people where to go. And it's really taking off. When I look around thinking about like what other generative AI startups there are that have gained traction, it's not a very long list. I mean, character AI is worth a billion dollars, but I don't hear anybody using that. But your your company people use, you're ranked above Google Calendar on the App Store. I think you were number nine on the top charts last time I checked. Is is this, what, what would you attribute this struggle for startups to take off in the generative AI space to? And is my view of this kind of closed-minded or am I hitting on something that's, that's right here? It's mostly accurate. There's some nuance. For example, you, you, you don't hear people around you using character AI because it's also not a product that people would be very proud of saying they use it. Okay. Uh, it's, its use cases are more uh, meant for these lonely uh, people who are like, you know, looking for companionship in their life. So it's sort of, sort of more like a personal activity and also it's more popular among uh, the, the younger generation, like 50 to 60% of their user base is under the age of 20 right. uh, because they're using it to talk to imaginary anime characters and things like that. So it's a very different uh, sector product, more more on the entertainment sector and less on the productivity uh, or utility sector. So we are in the productivity sector, and uh, as for like you know, in general, for any startup, it's pretty hard to gain uh, widespread adoption. First of all, it's hard to launch a good product. But this technology is supposed to change the world. People are talking about how it's going to be the end of civilization. For something that powerful, you would imagine there would be more. Yeah, but it takes time. For, for example, it takes a lot of time for people to change their habits, um, adopt a new, new. I mean, how many times do you adopt a new app? Like, you know, like it, it, for, it took me personally a very long time to start using Instagram, Twitter, uh, even WhatsApp. Even like, like I'm I'm only started using WhatsApp a lot more recently, and I used to stick to like. Uh, I, I just want to stick to FB Messenger or like Google Chat. So it takes a while for you to like truly change your habits. Uh, and, you know, and we are also facing this, right? Like it's all relative, okay, but relative to other products and generative AI startups, we have more adoption, but then relative to ChatGPT or Google, we are like way lower, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it, it takes time. And like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not very negative about other startups. Like uh, I also think there are pro- products outside the the sector that you're focusing on that are taking off. Like Levin Labs is a startup that has a lot of adoption. Uh, as a podcaster, you might be aware of it. Uh, there are like a lot of uh, tools there to like, you know, edit stuff. And then um, many other many other interesting companies. But for us, the 
the potential is a lot bigger than than any of these others because the quest for knowledge and information is the ultimate thing ever since like uh, humanity has like started evolving as a society, right? We've always sought more information, always sought more knowledge, uh, sought a better understanding of the world. So I think that's why like this product has no upper bound, honestly. So let's talk a little bit about the product because yeah, if you're, so you're creating an AI search engine, you've created it. What is the problem with search today that you're trying to solve? Because it's one thing to say, hey, we have this cool technology. Let's just apply it in like a logical way. But you have to see a glaring issue with this multi-trillion dollar business of search to be right. like, okay, we're actually going to do something different. So the fundamental problem with search today is that you waste a lot of time, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're looking for something, you get a bunch of links. Uh, these links are sort of not exactly ordered in the way that should save your time, but order in the way that makes Google more money. Uh, you're getting the answer that uh, 10 salespeople are trying to give you at the same time. Not the answer that a friend of yours who has used all these different services or products comes and tells you in a nice summarized way of like what is good or bad. Let's say you're like going and asking a friend of yours like which car you should buy. They're not going to tell you what's the best thing about each uh, you know, car or like each of these cars are trying to bid for against one another to get your attention. What they're going to tell you is like, hey, look, I use all these things. I use all the other, I use two or three cars and this is the best thing about this. This is the best thing about that. And what do you want? Like, what is it that you're interested in? They, they, there, there'll be a back and forth interaction with you. Uh, oh, like I actually like mileage more. Or like I'm looking for an electric car because I care about the environment. Like there, are, that sort of an interaction, that sort of personalization doesn't happen today in search, right? Um, and there is no incentive for Google to save your time in searches, by the way, because uh, the whole point for them is that you spend as much time opening like 10 tabs on Chrome, uh, the browser they control, and give give the analytics to all of these independent uh, website publishers and like brands of like how much traffic they're driving to each of you uh, based on how many users they're driving to each of you, right? So they're working for the advertiser, not for the, not for the user. So there is an opportunity for a new entrant here uh, that can directly work for the user uh, and like build a business model that's more aligned with the user interest than with the advertiser interest. So that's what we are trying to do. Yeah, but it's interesting because it is almost like a different category of search, right? You've talked about it already, like it's curiosity, right? Like Google is almost like, I need to get to the facts right away, like hit me with them. Or like, where's this, what is the answer to this question? Well, I guess you guys could do that too. But you actually inspire different queries, right? Like you, I saw in your Twitter feed, you were asking, perplexity what's the next trillion dollar company and it said it was the ozempic maker and it's like these type of searches are completely i would say incremental and new and different than the actual searches we would do with google yeah i mean i i generally think that there's like a new segment of searches that these products like perplexity or ChatGPT are creating which is like you know pe making people actually ask well-informed questions uh because we were not asking questions until now we were just entering keywords. Like in Google, Google kind of spoiled us over two decades to just type in keywords. And we wouldn't even type the full keyword. They would auto-complete it for us. And like we would we would just like click on that, go and read the links and waste time, right? So the first time you have this unique power to talk to a computer like a human where you can just go and ask questions. Now we all need to get used to that power first. We, we suddenly got it. We 
We never knew this was coming. It was not incrementally given to us. It just happened all of a sudden. And then um, you're like, okay, what do I do with it? Now you're like thinking about what to do with it. But the reality is this should have been the way you interacted with search engines all along. Like you're not coming and talking to me, Arvind, and asking like, you know, Google hmm. perplexity, right? You're like asking, what is perplexity doing that Google cannot do? Like, what is it? Why is Google not able to do this? Like, these are actual questions. Now you got the unique ability to ask the same kind of questions in the same conversational way to an AI. But I'm also wondering how big this can actually be because it's interesting. Like, Kevin Roos wrote this story. I'm sure, I mean, you spoke to him for it. Can this AI powered search engine replace Google? It has for me. But it's not actually a full replace. He even writes later in the article that he's not gotten rid of Google. And so I do wonder, like, if this is something that can fully replace Google, or is it just going to be something that you would use for a subset of questions you might not type into a traditional search engine? Yeah, let me let me give you a more nuanced perspective here. So there are two points on a line. Um, the left point is navigational searches. The right point is directly giving you an answer. So the left is traditional search engine, the right is answer engine. We are we are on the right and Google can be considered on the left, except Google has done a lot of work already to move more towards the right mm -hmm. by preserving as much as possible of the left. Uh, by the way, there, I don't want you to think about it like left wing, right wing here. Like, yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, we're not know, going there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just like mathematical. Um, now, Google is trying to keep its link UI, link interface, but also try to give you answers whenever possible. Uh, that could include weather, time, um, sports, election results, all sorts of things. Or like just getting to a website really quickly, uh, the browser navigation. Now, perplexity is giving you answers all the time, but that's not the only time, uh, only way you want to interact with the web. You sometimes just want the, uh, like, you're doing mathematic calcula calculations sometimes. You're doing, uh, you, have, you want the time and time in a particular city. Um, and then you want, like, uh, NBA scores. And, like, you want, um, you know, if there's an ongoing election, you want to track, like, you know, how many seats each part of candidate has won. So all that stuff doesn't need a large language model that can pull sources from different parts of the web and summarize these sources. So we are approaching the problem from a different uh, end of the line and Google's approaching the problem from a different end of the line, except we don't have any business model to defend. But what I'm trying to say is it's not, it might not actually be you versus Google. It might be you and Google. Possible, you know. Uh, I, I don't want to think about it as uh, them versus us either. Uh, my sense is that if we are the place for de facto information and accurate information on the internet, um, it will definitely make a dent on them. I'm not, I'm not, you know, clearly like, uh, they, look, their whole image is that they are the only place on the internet for facts. Is that really their image? Well, yeah, like you go, you, you go ask anybody, is this a, have you Googled it? Right. Have you Googled it? That, you know, that, oh, that okay. means like, I buy that. that so that, I think that that will definitely change. There's going to be more ways in which you can you can learn about anything. I mean, the behavior is also so different. I mean, so let's see. This is a stat that actually perplexity pulled out for me. So fact check it. But in October 2023, it said you had 40.35 million visits. And the mm -hmm. average session duration, and this is like the really interesting thing, 21.5 yeah. 
uh, minutes and 58 seconds, which you would imagine inside a Google page, it's just might, might be a minute. So, so that's the thing, right? Like I, I just feel like the idea in our product is to make people more curious and engage and ask more questions. In fact, our, the whole idea of a follow-up question was something mm -hmm. we, we innovated on, uh, where we would suggest to you what follow-up question to ask. Uh, you know why we did that? There's number one skill is, number one skill that actually is the bottleneck for these products to really take off is the ability to ask good questions. Oh yeah. Yeah, your, your human mind is not great at articulating a question. We're all very curious. We're all super curious people, but not all of us have the skill to translate that curiosity into a well-informed question. Definitely, it's like with Wikipedia. No one goes to like exactly. the Wikipedia homepage and is like, what am I going to explore today? You end yeah. up on Wikipedia through search, right? Yeah. So you have that query then, in mind. But, but then you, you read but the whole it, page. You read the whole of page that's written for everybody, but not personalized to you. You care about only some parts of it. And that's why like we wanted to create an experience of a dynamic, personalized Wikipedia for you. Like, you just, you, just, you just get an article on the fly. Have you spoken with Jimmy Wales over there? And are they going to build yeah. their own GPT? What's going on with Wikipedia? No, they're not going to build their own GPT. I've spoken to him and he uses our product and he likes our product a lot. And, you know, uh, he used it when he was in uh, Amsterdam and was looking for museums for his kids. Mm -hmm. uh, that was like within a few meters from his hotel. And he, he said like Google sucked at us and chat GPT <laughs> hallucinated and like we got the answer right. So he really liked that. I'm surprised. I would think that they would build one. He wanted to do some things like, oh, I, if I just wanted to create a perplexity-like experience, but just on Wikipedia articles alone, mm -hmm. how can I do that? He he wanted to build something of that nature, which we already had, by the way, like in, in our focus right. searches, uh, you could just pick one domain and ask questions. I told him about it, but he's like, I want it to be on wikipedia.com. And I told him, hey, dude, like Wikipedia, uh, people go there only through a search engine. They don't go there automatically and start exploring. But he's like, okay, what if I had this on the Wikipedia domain, then maybe people will do that. So that was his idea at that point. I don't know where, what's the status of that idea today. There's so many things that you're going to come up against. I mean, you're, you're already coming up against in this battle. First is data, right? You have far less users. And we all know that Google, Microsoft, Bing even use the data that they have to refine their searches and that feedback to help improve the quality of results. So what's your answer to them on that front? Yeah, so look, the whole point, the whole amazing part about this generative AI is that it doesn't actually need as much user data as you think. Yeah, share more about that because that, that's against the common thought I about mean, it. That's why OpenAI is a disruption. Like, Why should a research lab like OpenAI be able to create a better chatbot than Google that has like so much more data or like Meta that has so much more chat data? The reason is that like we were able to learn this generic knowledge of, of like language itself, common sense understanding, just by predicting the next word on the internet. That is the GPT model. All it does is take all of the internet, curate it reasonably well, so that you only train on signal instead of noise, and try to predict the next word from the previous words. But by doing that, you get such a good understanding of how the world works, how language works, basic common sense reasoning, mathematical reasoning, and that enables you for the first time in decades to be able to use little data, learn on the fly, and do a lot more things, right? So somebody who has access to such an 
amazing intelligence API, which has been exposed to all the developers in the world through OpenAI and Azure and things like that, can now program it in ways they want. Program it for a search engine, program it for a companion bot, program it for a coding assistant. All these things are possible with one generic intelligence layer. And also, companies like Meta have open sourced these ways, so you don't even, the, the flexibility in the programming is even more than what it started off with. So the first time, for the first time, we have had intelligence outside Google, like artificial intelligence outside Google, that's of higher quality than what is inside Google, which a new startup like us is able to harness, take advantage, and get it out to the users before Google can. That's really what has happened. We benefited a lot from OpenAI and Meta all like making so much progress on large language models and getting them to the user base, developers, other other smaller startups to build amazing products that would never have been done before with way less data because you can just few short prompt it or like fine tune it on a small subset of data that you required. So the advantages that the incumbents had in terms of having a large volume of data has gone away. I'm not saying you don't need user data at all. All I'm saying is you need a fraction of what was needed earlier for the first time. Arvind Srinivas is here with us. He's the CEO of Perplexity. We're going to keep up this conversation right after the break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast, Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Arvind Srinivas. He's the CEO of Perplexity, which is the hottest AI startup in the world right now. It has 10 million users. It's a search tool that you have a search engine that you could use but it's more than search and it's it's fascinating we're just talking above uh before the break about how you don't need as much data for perplexity as you would for other applications that is one of the the um innovations that we're seeing in ai but what you do need is news right and i do you have a very interesting approach to ui where you'll put four links not always news sometimes it's a youtube video like when I uh, searched you on perplexity, I found a couple of your YouTube interviews and those go at the top. Uh, if if you're not training on vast amounts of data, actually urgency and it being in the moment is crucial, I would imagine. I mean, you even look at some of the suggested searches you have and that's there. I'm curious from your perspective, how do you think news and information creators are going to factor into this world they're already the times is already suing open ai um i i go back and forth because i run a content business about whether i should let these bots crawl or not talk a little bit about what you think there and who it actually benefits so our thinking here has been to rely on our background as academics first of all like when we launched in chat gpd launched one fundamental difference is we give people 
information on where the answer is coming from, the sources. Right at the top, which I love. Right at the top, the sources, the citations, right? And uh, that, I believe, is a way to attribute the creator of the content. Okay, you know what? I'm not stealing your content. I'm actually attributing it to you. I'm, I'm telling the user exactly where it's coming from. And I'm going to drive traffic to you if they actually want to learn more about other stuff on that website. So in academia, this is a similar concept as writing a citation. Mm -hmm. And if someone's interested, they go and read the cited paper actually on their own. They, you know, we don't, we don't have to like tell them to go read it. They read it on their own because they think it's important. And, um, I think that's very, uh, fair use of other people's content. We're not stealing it. We're actually like just being a middleman between them and the end, end reader. And we're giving them more visibility, right? So it's a different kind of visibility. Until now, the internet econ economy has been built around like how much traffic am I getting? Now you're going to be like, how much awareness am I getting? How much awareness am I getting? Like how many times has some content on my site been viewed by people? It may not, it, it, it can be viewed in a different way too. It can be viewed through somebody else. It can be viewed directly on me. As long as the user knows it's from me, it's not. Right. That's, that's, where, that's where we differ from Google or ChatGPT. Uh, sorry, not Google. I, I guess Google Bard and ChatGPT. Uh, Google itself is going to be pretty transparent about the links. And our sense is also that um, the value of a link click on perplexity will be more than... Than, right. than on Google, you know, your because pitch, like someone has to be way higher intent, yeah, to still leave the site and go right. Your pitch is very similar, to like to the one that publishers make to advertisers that like it's not only about clicks; it is about awareness. And you know, when you get traffic from a good publisher, it's going to be high quality traffic. That being said, like if you don't have eyeballs on your site, it's very difficult to make money from it. But We'll see how this plays out. I think it's still an open question. It's an open question. That's that's. I I will clearly establish that here that we don't have a complete answers to all this today. Uh, how are you thinking about making money? I mean, you have a pro version that's twenty dollars a month. You mm -hmm. don't have ads yet, but you talk very eloquently about the idea that you might eventually have ads and how that could be even better than your experience. Uh, you know, we just you talked about Google earnings at the top. I mean, they just added an incremental $6 billion in advertising in yeah. the quarter, an incremental $6 billion. That would be the 11th biggest advertising business on the globe, period, outside of China, uh, according to Brian right. Weiser from Madison and Wall. So if people end up spending, what do we say, like 30-something minutes, 21 minutes and 58 seconds on perplexity and not just, you know, zinging out to websites through Google. How are you going to make money on that? And how does that change the economics of the Internet? I think that we just need to rethink what advertising means, right? Uh, you go to the first principle of what advertising means. Advertising is a way for the creator of the content or the brand owner to maximize their awareness to the end user or, or, or viewership. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, 10 blue links is one way to connect the reader and the creator, but not the most efficient way. Right? The more efficient way is actually t answering parts of what exists on your website to the end user directly. What exactly do you want the, uh, the user to know about you? 
which you're putting on your site anyway. You don't have to tell us, you don't have to like pay us for that. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I believe it's fair, it's more fair to the advertiser to like not be the middle guy telling, and I'll figure out how to sort the order, you you pay me money for that. But rather, you you write about yourself in the most honest, transparent way that you want the end user to know about you and let the AI do the job of taking that and reaching the end user more more efficiently than before. But and, advertising and interrupts do. though. Like, so it's very difficult, very different to be like a blue link on the side or above versus like you're having a conversation and then like perplexity ads come in and like, hey, wait a second. You should know about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say here is advertising has to be rethought from the perspective of, oh, I just want traffic versus I, just, I want more awareness. And what tools can I use to increase that? Right? How can I write the content on my website even better mm -hmm. to reach the end user for certain kind of questions? And you are in charge of that yourself as a creator. You don't have to be under the mercy of someone creating an auction system and exploiting you. Mm -hmm. Right? By the way, the internet can be very fair. We, Perplexity, is not trying to be uh, creating a trillion dollar economy on top of ads. Uh, or on top of all the searches that we get and trying to take all of it and not give away much to others. Like nobody won, only Google won in the past era where, you know, the, the, the telecom providers did not win, uh, the, the, the publishers did not win. They took all the moolah out for themselves. We want yeah. to change that and create a more fair world. And that's why I think like people will be more willing to work with us. And I mean, it also doesn't just change like the traditional search model. It can change commerce too. I mean, if you think about it, if you're on Amazon, you That's could right. search Amazon and just type uh -huh. a, uh, you know, conversationally into a, yeah. a search bar there. And they're actually starting to do this. I think it's a product called exactly. Rufus. And Rufus, yeah. that obviously yeah, minimizes their be. amount to make ads, but it's also, how do you yeah. think? Yeah. I'm curious. How do you think it's going to change e-commerce? Well, it's going, I think it's all mm -hmm. like, think, think about it as short term and long term, right? Yep. You, you may think it minimizes your ads, but what if people just purchase more because they're able to make better choices now? Yeah. Right? Uh, most of the time, people don't end up purchasing. They end up shopping a lot, but they don't actually make a purchase because they're not sure what to buy. But when you have a great shopping assistant that directly gets to what the user wanted, the conversion to a transaction could be much higher. Right. And the retention could be higher. The number of purchases, cumulative number of purchases could just get higher per user. And uh, you don't have to rely on other people anymore. You, uh, you can just, and, and the merchants are happier, so they're willing to pay you a little more for like being displayed on your site. So you can create a different kind of economy, right? So by the way, for Amazon to do this hard, obviously, because they do rely on advertising revenue on amazon.com to keep amazon.com profitable. So the thing. they have like similar problems to Google there. Mm -hmm. But 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 look, they can they they are, they are such a massive company and have revenue from AWS and like can definitely make up for like any short term hits here. You have Jeff Bezos as an investor. Yeah, I have do. You made this argument to him. No. <laughs> I mean, I, by the way, I want to establish that he doesn't. You know, he he he's not like actively involved in Amazon and his yeah, investment in us has but he's no a chairman ties. There. He's a chairman. He's he his investment in us has nothing to do with uh, us working with Amazon. It's an it's a independent investment. How did you recruit Bezos or did he just come in the front door? We had, I'm sure it's a great story. No, he, he, 
I mean, it's it's not it's not as crazy as you think. Like we got <laughs> connected to his, um, you know, Bezos Expeditions Fund, and mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously in his style, they asked us for like like um, a memo, memo, and you know, like so that, that was sort of the process. And we we had a pitch deck and all that, and like demo and all these things. But yeah, they made a decision very fast, and it, it definitely changed our. Our fortune um, in terms of being seen as a widely aware, like the awareness that we got through this investment is tremendous. Interesting. Very quickly, as we come into a landing, uh, you worked at OpenAI. Okay. I, you know, I guess like the fashionable thing would be to ask you about their governance troubles. So if you want to comment on that, fine. But what I'm hearing about from them is they keep signaling that huge stuff is coming down. Uh, the pike this year just like the way that they're talking is that it sounds like some serious advances are going to happen this year do you have any sense as to what those might be and i don't understand like what what could what could inspire such talk is it a much i mean if it's a slightly better gpt model okay but it sounds like something more i mean i don't know what has been said publicly maybe you, you hear something more privately but uh I guess I'll just go by what Sam Altman told Bill Gates. I mean, I was listening to it like two days ago, which is um, they'll have a lot more reliable models. So uh, right now, sometimes one in a 10 or one in a 100 completions of a GPT-4 model uh, is hallucinatory, can can say arbitrary things. It's not reliable. It's not deterministic programs. So I think they'll address that. Uh, They'll also address the fact of the models being like more multimodal. Like right now it supports images and input, but the most general version will support audio, video as inputs and also as outputs. They'll uh, interface with text. I think they'll make some advances there. I think the third thing they'll make some advancements on is um, reasoning. Uh, Whatever reasoning GPT-4 is able to exhibit today is already amazing, but it's still pretty limited. And I think they'll make some more progress there in terms of multi-step reasoning and like doing back and forth thinking. You want models to be able to like think for a while and then come back and give you some things, right? So they mm-hmm. they'll probably make more progress on those things. And I guess the fourth thing that um, Altman mentioned was like just re- like reducing the costs. Oh, sorry, increasing the personalization of all these models so that people can program all these things in a more reliable way. Like for example. Why should all the products built on GPT-4, you know, respond in the same way with the same style of like moralizing the user and like right. telling them what not to ask and like same kind of like uh, diplomatic positioning of things? You want to have like more variety and diversity in the product experiences created on top of GPT-4, uh, and I think that is something they'll probably address. Long context reasoning, things like that. So these are all like when I say these things, it looks boring to you. Right, long context, uh, better models, better reasoning, more more reliability, multimodal. It's su- such boring answers, but when these actually happen together, when when, it, when these all really happen at the same time, it look like the next generation model dropped. With Anthropic, what do you what do you think about the Claude model, and does it hold a candle to GPTs? So far, not, to be very honest. But I'll tell you one thing. They there are people in the world who actually like Claude a lot more than GPT. In terms of response styles mm-hmm. and eloquence, 
they like Claude a lot more. It's more natural. It feels more like talking to a human than to an AI if you adopt Claude. So there are, we have we offer Claude as an option on the Perplexity product for pro users. And I, I know like a lot of people who still use Claude instead of GPT-4. Even though GPT-4 is a more capable reasoner because they like the way Claude responds. So Anthropic certainly has something. Now, can they create a model better than GPT-4? I definitely think they can. And if they don't, they're kind of doomed, in fact. This year, in 2024, if they don't create a model better than GPT-4, all the funding and the, like, you know, the race is not being put to good use. But I actually think they will end up creating a model better than GPT-4 this year. Mm. Like, it, it, it's sort of almost guaranteed to happen. So I believe it's ha- going to happen with Claude 3. Now, does that mean OpenAI is in trouble? I don't think so either. I'm sure there's a GPT 4.5 or 5 that will stay ahead. So it really is going to be a cat and mouse game there where Anthropics playing catch up and OpenAI is ahead through multimodal capabilities, reasoning capabilities, and things, things like that. Now, the question is like, how long can OpenAI keep on stay, staying in the lead? If the delta between them and their competitors is slowly reducing, uh, what what is the thing that's going to keep them ahead? That's what I'm not clear. And when Llama 3 comes out, and Llama 3 is as good as Claude 3 or very close to GPT-4, uh, and the weights are just given out to everybody, it threatens the whole economy that uh, these companies are creating with uh, through APIs. It doesn't demolish it, because just because somebody gave you the weights uh, doesn't mean you can take it and serve inference yourself. You still need someone to serve inference for you in a more sufficient way, and like all the trickery to like make an inference efficient is still not... like easy or open source but it certainly reduces the monopoly power of like these um closed source model providers and google is also being going to play in that market through gemini as an api too right so it's going to be interesting to see i think openai's value will lie in the chat gpt product itself uh the end-to-end product and they're going to face competition there too like meta is going to have their own AIs and there's bard it's all sorts of like Microsoft Bing. has Bing Chat Copilot, so it's 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 a it's a market. It's a tough market. It's like there are there are few players, and they're all going to keep competing. And like you know who's really winning? Consumers. Yeah, and Nvidia. <laughs> and Nvidia, exactly. So everybody's using Nvidia. I mean, of course, Google doesn't use Nvidia chips, and right. Um, you know, I I guess Sam Altman is trying to create his own chip company and things like that. So we'll see. Yeah. All right, Arvin, I know you are pressed for time. Um, Keep shipping. And if people want to check out Perplexity, where can they find it? Perplexity.ai. Okay, excellent. Thank you for joining. I hope it's not the last time. Really illuminating conversation. Great point to end on. Thanks again for being here. Thank you, Alex. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast.